Y'all, first service, you need to be woken up. You're like doing the golf clap. Mm, golf clap. There are no decibel uh, requirements here or limitations here at the church. Um, super excited about this morning. Um, really glad. Um, man, how many of you were at the uh, Empower Conference this past weekend? Yeah? It was awesome. Now, you know, we, we call ourselves a Baptocostal church. Which, which means that, you know, we take from a lot of the traditions of the mainline denominations like, you know, Baptist, Methodist, you know, like those. But we also take from, you know, the wild, crazy, charismatic traditions as well. Um, and we like both. And we don't think that you have to pick and choose. Um, and so uh, we really enjoyed our time last weekend. I know it's not everyone's thing, uh, but I'm, I just, I'm, people got healed. We were, Cynthia and I were trying to, to tally up the number of miraculous healings that we saw. I'm still getting reports of healings coming in. Uh, we just ran into someone uh, at, at dinner the other night, and they said they got healed. We had no idea uh, until they shared it. So if you received uh, healing um, specifically Friday night, Saturday night, or Sunday uh, morning of this last weekend, we really want to hear about it. So if you would email me or Cynthia, our emails are in the back of the bulletin, okay? Good deal? Good deal, good deal. Because we always like to celebrate what God did. We also, people got saved, um, people rededicated their lives, um, it, not just physical healing, but people just had a face-to-face encounter with God, and it was awesome. It was awesome. So, good stuff. So, I was praying about what to share. We're actually in between series right now. We usually have a series for around a month, and in September, because of Empower, because of Youth Sunday next weekend, uh, we, I've just been kind of preaching on what's on my heart, and uh I preached uh, a couple weeks ago a a message called Centered, where I basically described uh, the strategy uh, for VFC when it comes to your spiritual growth. It was the strategy of of what we want to do, uh, how this church wants to support you uh, when it comes to your spiritual growth. And we talked about that. It was growing up. Growing deep, reaching in, and reaching out. And so I encourage you to get that CD, or you can look it up uh, online if you want as well. Um, This morning, I'm going to talk about what I would call is the mission of VFC, and it's belong, believe, become. Belong, believe, become. Um, That is the mission of this church. And what I mean by that is we want you to belong to the family, we want you to believe in Jesus, not just believe in him as a, as, a, as a historical character, which he was. He was a real person. He actually existed. He was on earth. That's great. But we want you to believe in Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, all right? And we want you to believe in his kingdom and his kingdom ways of living. And then we also want you to become the church, Become the church. Now, it's been said before, but it bears repeating, that you guys are the church. This building is not the church. This building is a building that houses the church, okay? When, when, when Jesus talked about the church, he says, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. The word was ecclesia. It, it means a gathering of people. It doesn't mean a building. The word church actually derives from uh, the German language, and it's a mistranslation of that Greek word ecclesia. Um, but it should, it should be a, a group, a gathering. That, that, that's what the, the, the word church means. And so we want people to belong to the family, believe in Jesus, and become the church. You know, God is active. Christ is the head of the church, 
But a head's not good enough to have a whole body, right? If you see a disembodied head, you're not like, that's a body. You're like, that's a head, right? That's a nice middle picture for you right there. So Jesus Christ is head of the church, but he needs us to be the hands, the feet, the heart, the eyes, the ears, right? Every other part of the body. That's you. That's your job. That's your job. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a passage of Scripture. We're going to look at John chapter 8. And and I'm going to kind of walk you through um, why we say belong, believe, become. And we're going to talk about it, okay? So John chapter 8. I'm going to be reading in the New Living Translation here. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. You may have heard this before. Um, this is a woman is caught in adultery, and she is brought before Jesus by the religious people. So verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he was back again at the temple. Um, I, I love uh, one version of, of this, one translation, it says, as was his custom, he went to the temple every week. You know, Jesus went to church. Did you know that? He did. Jesus went to church. And, and I've talked with a lot of people. They're like, well, I don't need church to be a Christian. Of course you don't need to attend a service to be a Christian. Being a Christian is about, you know, knowing the Lord Jesus personally. Like, you don't have to attend a service or, or gather together. It doesn't make sense that you wouldn't want to. But, but yeah, you don't, have to, you don't have to do that. But eventually, I, I don't like fighting about that because it's just there's no point. You know, people are going to do what they're going to do anyway. So I, eventually I just say, well, Jesus went to church. It was good enough for him. It was good enough for me. And then I just leave it at that. Verse 2. Uh, so he, he sat down as a crowd, a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law... And the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. So this is not just a few men and Jesus. This is Jesus surrounded by dozens, possibly hundreds of people that he's teaching. And they interrupt in the middle of it. And and, and there's several of these religious leaders. These would have been really well-known people in the community. And they throw this lady in the middle of all of this, having just been caught just been caught in the act of adultery. And they say to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses, which was the law of the land, says to stone her, what do you say? Verse 6, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. That's an interesting response, isn't it? Almost ignoring them. Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and he wrote in the dust. All right, so this is, this is funny to me. So we're, he's teaching, right? He's teaching, you know, you know, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, typical Jesus stuff. And then all of a sudden they throw this lady up, this huge, you know, huge deal. And she's in the middle, and who knows what kind of condition she was in. She's probably crying. She's embarrassed, you know, trying to hide. But there she is in front of everyone. And they go, hey, the law says that we should stone this lady. What do you say? And Jesus just stoops down and starts drawing in the dirt. <laughs> I mean, if, if I did that for my sermon, y'all would probably leave after about five minutes, right? If I just started drawing figures on the carpet up here. And they're like, dude, give us an answer. 
Now, some people say, well, what was Jesus doing? And there's all these theories about maybe he was, you know, maiming the sins of the men that brought the lady. And I didn't say that. I don't know that. You know, maybe, um, maybe some people said Jesus was so holy, the woman probably didn't have many clothes on because she'd been caught. And so he was averting his eyes. I don't know about that. I think it would have said that. I mean, everyone had, it, we don't know. You can have your opinion, have your opinion. And we're not going to start a new denomination over it, okay? This is the Church of the Dust Riders. Every Sunday we write in the dust because it's what Jesus did. It's in the Bible. We're not going to get hung up on that. But I, I personally believe, what was Jesus doing? I personally believe that Jesus was waiting and hearing from the Holy Spirit on what to do next. I think he was taking a moment and saying, that's a, that's a good one. This is a good one. I mean, the Pharisees were always trying to get him. They would, they would ask about paying taxes right in front of the Romans. Right? They would try to trap him so that they could have something to say. Because, see, if he, said, if he said, don't stone her, then he'd be breaking the, the law that they were under, and he, as a teacher, was supposed to uphold. But, but, if, but if he said, do stone her, he would actually be committing a crime because Rome at the time didn't allow the Jews to kill their own people anymore. That's why they had to have Rome kill Jesus and crucify him. So this is, a, this is a good trap. This is a really good one. And I'm sure Jesus was like, hold on. <laughs> he started writing in the dirt. Lord, you know, tell me what to do. So we see Jesus' response here. Verse 7, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. That's, that's so perfect. Why? Because it still upheld the law. He didn't say, no, don't stone her. He, he didn't say, I, I'm going to change the law. That wasn't, that wasn't Jesus' mission. Scripture says he didn't come to remove the law, but to fulfill the law. So he didn't change the law. He didn't say, no, she doesn't, no, don't stone her. He said, okay, you can stone her. That, you're right. That's what the law says. But whoever is without sin, throw the first stone. In other words, it is correct that the law says this woman should die because of her sin. But you are unqualified to carry out the law. You aren't qualified as judge. You aren't qualified. And then, verse 9, when the accusers heard this, I'm sure dropping their heads, and, uh, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. In the middle of the crowd. So again, it's not just Jesus and the woman. There's still, this crowd's watching all this, Okay? Then Jesus stood up again, probably drawn in the dirt the whole time. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, most people stop here. and The, the, the heading in my Bible has a new, like, okay, and next. But I don't think it stops. Verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people. So he was addressing the woman. Right? I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then he looked up. He looked out at the crowd and he said this, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Isn't that good? He didn't just, he didn't just say, go and sin no more. He looked up and he said, look, you don't have the ability within yourself to stop sinning. I mean, seriously, guys, right? I mean, have you ever really lived a sinless? You haven't lived a sinless life. And if you have your line, and that's a sin. Because <laughs> scripture says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's Romans 3.23. Okay? And, and so, 
So, so none of us have been able to stop ourselves from sinning, but Jesus points to himself as the gateway, as the way that we can walk righteously. He says, if you follow me, you won't have to walk. Do you know that you don't have to walk in darkness? You can. You can if you want to. And, you, and you're, you're going to bear that fruit, and it's not going to be good. You're going to be miserable. You're going, to have, you're, you're going to have bad situations and bad circumstances because that's what sin does is it creates, it creates a trauma and problems in our life. But you don't have to. You don't have to if you follow Jesus. I, I, love, I love this passage of Scripture because in it I see, I see a, an order of interaction with sinful people, of which I am one and you are too. I see an order of interaction And we can see it here. First of all, and I've shared this before, Jesus defends the woman. He defends the woman. Secondly, he accepts the woman. He says, where are your accusers? He he defends her. He goes, okay, y'all can stone her, but whoever, whoever, whoever has no sin, and then he defends her. Then he goes, where are your accusers? And she goes, they're gone. He goes, well, I don't accuse you either. See, he accepts her. But then he disciples her and he says, hey, but look, go and sin no more. Come on. You don't have to, if you'll follow me, you don't have to live in darkness. There's a better way to live. There, there's a more successful way for you to live that will give you the peace you long for, the joy you long for. There's a better way. And he began to disciple her. Now, here's the problem. The church at large historically has gotten this backwards. When it comes to someone in sin who comes to our churches or when we go out into the world in the marketplace, we try to disciple the lost first. We say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And they're like, who are you? And then if maybe we can get them to agree that what they're doing is wrong, then maybe we'll accept them. Maybe we'll accept them and say, okay, now, so I'm going to invite you to our services. You've admitted that you're wrong now. And we want you to be a part of VFC now that you've admitted you're wrong. And then once they show up, then we'll defend them. Hey, they're one of us now. Do you see how that's backwards? Do you see how the church has gotten it backwards for so long? But Jesus has this holy progression of acceptance when it comes to someone who's in sin, which, by the way, is all of us. He says, I will defend you first, I will accept you next, and then I will disciple you. In light of this passage of Scripture, I want you to see that belong and and belong belief become, belong comes first. I was talking to a friend and I was telling them, you know, I feel like the Lord's really calling VFC to be a place where people belong, believe, and become. And they said, don't you mean believe, belong, become? I said, no, I don't, because that is the typical church way. We need you to believe a certain way, and then you can belong to us. But you see in Scripture, Jesus says, you belong first, and then then, uh, we'll teach you to believe, and we'll disciple you, and you can become who God's called you to be. I want to show you really quickly. I love this. This is Matthew 9, 9. This is God's interview process to become a disciple of Jesus. 
You know, like you go to a job and you're like, okay, um, and you have your interview. You've sat through the interview before, right? And they're like, oh, so tell me about yourself. Well, and they're like, so what's your worst quality? And you always like say something good about yourself as your worst quality. My worst quality is I care too much, right? Oh, that's so good. And they write that down. You know, my worst quality is that I work too hard sometimes. <laughs> Hilarious, right? Those interview processes are, are so funny. So here, here is, this is Matthew. You know, Matthew is writing an account of his, own, of his own discipleship call. Okay, now, I need you to understand something about Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, in our day, we don't like the IRS, right? The IRS, eh, we don't, oh, we're going to write that check, you know. Or you see, you get your paycheck and you see everything that's been withheld. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, right? We don't like the IRS, of course. But it wasn't just like that back then, okay? A tax collector in this culture was someone that was, was, was basically um, siding with Rome. So you see, Rome was, was occupying Jerusalem and Israel. They, were, they had taken over the area. And so they were a tax collector, not for Israel, but for Rome. So they had defected to the other side. Imagine if we were taken over as a country by China. And then some of you in this church said, well, I'm going to work for China to collect taxes from you to give them. You'd be like, you're doing what? Not only that, were they considered traitors, but they were known. So say Rome would say, okay, we need $1,000 from this family. So be like, okay, sweet. He would ask for $2,000. And everything he got above 1000 he got to keep himself. They were liars and thieves. They were crooks. And this was the tax. They were, they were basically like the mafia of the time. I mean, they, were, they, they did illegal stuff. They were stealing. They were cheating. And they were traitors. This, they were the worst of the worst. Okay? People hated them. And you'll always see the Pharisees get on to Jesus for hanging out with the tax collectors. Because they were known to be the worst. So here's the interview process. Here you go. You might want to take notes in case you want to become a disciple of Jesus. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. End of interview. He didn't say, hey, Matthew, what do you believe about me? Well, I believe that you're a prophet. Uh, no, I'm the son of God. Never mind. Keep walking. He didn't do that, did he? He didn't say, Matthew, are you willing to give your life to my cause? Are you willing to give up your job? Are you willing to become the hands and feet of the church? He didn't say that. He said, hey, come here, follow me. That's it. And Matthew followed him. Now, believe me, there was a long discipleship process with Matthew. He was used to stealing he was used to being crooked. He was, he was used to lying, right? He was, and you know, when you're hated in the community, you hate the community back. So there was a lot that had to happen in Matthew's heart. But he was, but, but do you see that belong came first? Do you see that? Belong has to come first if we're going to engage in biblical discipleship. I've heard it said before, you can't clean a fish before you catch it. Can you imagine being down there in the water with a knife trying to clean him? That wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. You've got to catch the fish first, then clean them. And so that's why we say belong first. 
believe, become. I heard a story recently. You guys know in the Middle East, in Syria, in Iraq, in Iran, there are a lot of refugees right now. Because things are so bad and the governments aren't able to provide for their people. People are just, they're getting all their belongings and they're traveling usually to Europe to try to find, you know, asylum somewhere else. It's huge. I just encourage you. And and by the way, Christians are on the forefront of, of this humanitarian effort. Like they are, Christians are stepping up. You should be so proud of your church family because worldwide, we, followers of Jesus, are stepping up and helping these people in great need. It's amazing. It's amazing. Um, it's, it's really good. I mean, every time someone, um, you know, downs Christianity on social media and they're like, yeah, Christians build, build, they build buildings or they don't support the lost. I'm like, dude, what have you done for anyone besides complain? The church at large spends millions, billions of dollars helping the poor and needy. It's just, it's, it's, it's silly. It's so silly. So anyway, I heard a story about how some Iraqis uh, have been going to uh, Scotland because they're, 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 they're all, the Middle Eastern people are all going into uh, Europe. And so it, it's become one of the popular destinations uh, for refugees from Iraq specifically. So this pastor was saying that he visited this church that has made it their mission to be uh, stop number one for all uh, Iraqi uh, refugees. And they're inviting them to their church. And they're, they're loving them. And they actually, this church has gotten a reputation among the Iraqi people where they want, the Iraqi people really want to get involved with this church because so far there's this process in Scotland where you, where you have to become a, a citizen if, you're, like, if you receive asylum and everything. It's really stringent, it's really hard, and not everyone gets in. But everyone that's come to this particular church group, they begin to pray and fast and intercede. Every single Iraqi has gotten asylum. So they're getting a reputation among all the refugees. Like, you want to go to this church. Well, then what happens? Okay. Well, they meet with this church because they want asylum. They want to escape their old country. But they're Muslim. And they're probably wearing the Muslim garb. And the women have on burqas. And the guys have on turbans. But the church is saying, we want you. Come, come, come belong first. And Iraqis, Muslims, are getting saved at a crazy rate over in Scotland. Why? Because they belonged first. They belonged first. Is, is, is Islam and Christianity, are they the same? Of course not. Can they coexist? They can't. But if you go in there guns blazing, <laughs> all right, I'll help you, but you first must renounce your... Look, there's going to be a, a, a discipleship process But it's a lot easier to disciple someone once they know Jesus. And it's a lot easier to get someone to know Jesus when they belong to the to his body. Does that make sense? No, just 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 for clarification, I'm not saying that we allow unsaved people in ministry positions at church. I'm not saying that. That's foolish. But I am saying that we've got to adopt a mentality to where people belong first. Then they believe, and then they become the hands and feet of Jesus. I, I encourage you, it's, it's easy to, to rally around this concept when it's theoretical. It's harder when someone in a turban walks through the back doors. And, and I want everyone, y'all, 
I mean, I'm just saying, like, just, just so you know, so you know full and well what you, you're getting yourself into here at VFC. We love everyone. Now, if someone's a danger to the congregation or to our children, then, then we deal with that. But if someone's not a danger to us or themselves, they're welcome. They get to belong. And we're going to teach them what to believe. How can we expect them to change until they come in contact with the changer? With the one who changes? Thank you. I think it's good. I think it's good. It's awesome. God pursues the imperfect. God pursues the imperfect. He doesn't pursue the perfect. He pursues everyone, but he's drawn to the imperfect. I'm not drawn to the imperfect. Have you ever been like at the grocery store and you're like shopping for cereal and you see like a whole row of, and I don't even know why there's so many brands of cereal. I mean, can Cheerios make more Cheerios? It's like whole wheat Cheerios, honey nut Cheerios, sugar Cheerios. They call it frosted. It's sugar. Chocolate Cheerios. It's like, what are you doing? Like garlic Parmesan Cheerios. That doesn't exist. That's, that's not. Some of, y'all, some of y'all are like, that sounds good. So many choices, right? So, so I choose my brand of 18,000 Cheerios, right? And I got two choices. One has a dented box. like it's just, It was crushed during delivery or whatever. And one's a perfect box. Which one, which one do you choose? The perfect box. Every time. Because I'm going to pay the same amount of money for a box of cereal regardless whether that thing is dented or it's not. I want the right one because I want my cereal to have a good box. Amen. I mean, right? I mean, have, have, y'all seen, have y'all seen the bag cereal? You know what I'm talking about? The cereal that's just in bags at the bottom. That's like the white trash of the cereal aisle. It's like they're tucked away at the bottom of the aisle. It's kind of like they were out partying with the pastry section when they were passing out boxes that time. And they're just like, we just, uh, we missed that. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about, right? The bag cereal. <laughs> It's hilarious. I got some of it once. I was like, it's the same. It's the exact same. I think I got bag cereal Fruit Loops in college because I wasn't allowed to eat sugar cereal when I was a kid. And so my parents were like, when you're an adult, you can eat whatever you want. But as long as you're a kid, you're going to eat this. Well, when I, when I became 18, went off to college, guess what I had? Sugar cereal. <laughs> I became well acquainted with all the sugar cereals, especially those that had marshmallows. Those were my favorite. I would eat all the other stuff and save the marshmallows for last. You know, okay, I'm sorry. I, I had a rough childhood is all I'm saying. So I, so I, bought, I bought these, I bought these uh, this bag cereal. It was bag cereal Fruit Loops. And, you know, it's like Toasty O's or, you know, some terrible name, you know. They aren't even dyed the same color of the Fruit Loops, right? And I'm like, it's the same. I'll save 50 cents. It's the same. Open it up. And it's like this. It's not even a circle. Like, I would think it'd be harder to make a non-circle than a circle. Like, what's the machine? Like, is it the old Kellogg's machine they sold at auction and these people get it? And I don't know. <laughs> but that bag cereal is janky, man. It's not. Look, I go after the good stuff. I, I go after the milk carton that doesn't have a dent in it. I go after the cereal box. But Jesus is drawn to the imperfect. He's drawn to the imperfect. And we're going to have to train ourselves as a church. Look, we are not a country club. We are not a place where people of all the same socioeconomic status and the same likes and desires. and that, that's, that's not who we're called to be. 
We are called to pursue the imperfect. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 18. This is Jesus' job description. You know Jesus had a job description? This is the description of what the Messiah, the job of the Messiah would be. He's actually, he's, he's, he's saying it in Luke 4, 18, and he's quoting Isaiah 61, and we're going to look at that in a second. But it says, I, I love this. Let me just, let's just read this whole kind of thing here. This is one of the first things Jesus does uh, after he's tempted in the desert. Like now he's like proven. He's been baptized uh, in water and by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he's been t- uh, tempted and tested and tried by the devil in the wilderness. And then, verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Come on. You're going to have to go through temptation to be filled with the Anyway, well, I'm going to preach on that. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. Verse 16, and when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue. Jesus went to church on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. They would read like in order of the, they would like finish a whole book and read parts. But he unrolled the scroll and found the place. In other words, he's not reading the point, the part where they gave to him. He's turning to Isaiah 61, what we now know is Isaiah 61. And he reads this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has, set me, he has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, and the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, like, like, they, they just knew he read the job description of the Messiah. Everyone knew what this passage was. Then he began to speak to them. He goes, this scripture that you've heard has been fulfilled this very day. Ooh. They try to kill him after that. Because they knew he was saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. I want to show you something really quick. I'm going to end with this. So, Jesus quoted... Isaiah 61, but he didn't quote the whole thing. Now, this is going to be kind of hard for you to see. But you can take a picture, zoom up, whatever, and you can study this on your own. The, the areas in red on the overhead uh, uh, in, in, uh, behind me are areas that are left out. Now, the first one says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. It, it, that doesn't matter. He left out Yahweh. He used Adonai, which is the, the, um, the title of Lord instead of the first name of God, Yahweh. But he goes through, you know, and you can see it matches perfectly. Each side matches, matches, matches. He adds in Luke 4, recovery of sight to the blind. Jesus adds that in. He's adding to the scripture. Why? Because he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people that at the time were blind. That didn't see him as the Messiah. So he adds that in. Then he continues. He continues reading, right? And then at the very end. Now, Isaiah 61 um, actually, at the end, it says, in the day of vengeance of our God. You see that? It's in red. It's under the Isaiah 61 column. The day of vengeance of our God. Jesus doesn't read that verse, shuts the book, or rolls up the scroll, and then sits down. Why did he not read that verse? It is the job description of the Messiah. Why? Because it wasn't time yet. The judgment of God... When Jesus comes back to the earth, is coming. 
But it wasn't fulfilled when Jesus was on the earth. It wasn't time for that yet. What it was time for was that blind eyes be opened, that the gospel was preached to the poor, and that those that were in bondage be set free. See, Jesus has not fulfilled all of his Messiah duties yet. There's still one part that comes, and that's the day of vengeance. But we are now in a window of mercy where you can repent, where you can belong, where you can believe, where you can become. And he's saying, this is my job right now. The day of vengeance is coming, but right now, let me open your blind eyes. Let me free you from your sin. Let me release the captives. Isn't that awesome? Look, Jesus was the Messiah. But he said, right now, for this period of time, until I come back again, you get to belong first. You get to belong, then believe, then become. But guys, once Jesus comes back, there's no more opportunity to belong, to believe, or to become. And the day of vengeance of our God will happen. That makes it even more important that we belong, believe, and become. Amen? Let's stand.